Cradeline Network. I swear by the moon and the stars in the skies, and I swear like the shadow that's by your side. Borak Thog Earthlets. My name is Conrad, and this is the 291st episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're taking a break from our weekly progs and venturing into the exciting world of special editions, in this case, the 1994 sci-fi special. It's the 17th sci-fi special. Two more to go. Um... This special features some some side characters and uh, and new artists working in um, coming to to 2000 AD, as well as an extensive amount of work by Alan McKenzie, our new uh, uh, 2080 editor. The price of the special has gone up 25 pence to one to one pound 75. But I'm really excited by my guest this episode, Chloe Mabel of the Neotech Review. Welcome to the show. Hi. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on. I'm, I'm a big fan of your work and feel, I don't know, a certain kinship to you as a fellow um, 2000 AD fan from the United States. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like we're actually pretty few and far between. So it's really exciting to to find. Absolutely. That <laughs> uh, can you tell us your history with 2000 AD? Like like how you came to it and like how, you know, how you're, how you're finding it, I guess? <laughs> um. I, I, it's kind of a big surprise. I'm American. <laughs> and so I, I didn't have the opportunity to grow up with the progs or with the mag. And uh, I had a couple of issues that I kind of snuck out of my, uh, my uncle's house. Cause he was a big comic collector. Um, and he had like a couple of the judge dread books and a couple of the progs here and there that he had picked up off of eBay um, and a bunch of other like just random British publications like Deadline and, mm-hmm. and shit like that. So um, and then I kind of, you know, fucked off of that and and got more into American comics. And then I got into my 20s and I started dating a dude from Scotland. <laughs> my oh my. And, <laughs> and so I've spent the past like uh, 10 years just becoming more steadily obsessed um, with, with 2000 AD and with dread and with, with everything that comes with, uh, that 45 years of history, all of the little weird minutia that goes into it. It's just, it's just so good. It's what's missing from so much of, um, a lot of American sci-fi comics for me. I found it. <laughs> it just happened to be on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there there's something about about 2000 AD that's just different. I mean, it's c- certainly in comics than anything else that you find in in, in the states for sure. Absolutely. Whether it's just, I I think both the uh, the the anthology nature of the comic and maybe just the lack of focus on superheroes almost <laughs> I think makes it feel refreshing from from our perspective. I guess. Yeah, kind of. There, there's a. Um... It's less about uh, it's less black and white for sure. Like there's less there's good guys and bad guys, and it's more about like here's somebody that's good mm-hmm. at their job, and that doesn't always mean that they are good or bad. It's just somebody who's really good at their job and are good at what they do or are good at causing chaos. But maybe that chaos is good. Like it's a gray area that I really really enjoy, especially in a lot of the older stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it just kind of lands in this weird spot that you can't 
always categorize perfectly. And that appeals to me. Yeah, quite a bit, absolutely. So. So I know um, as as we're recording, it's it, it's been on a hiatus. But can you tell us about uh, about your the the blog you edit, uh, the Neo Text Review? Uh, yeah. So well, uh, as was the Neo Text Review, we are no longer owned by Neo Text. Uh, we are actually, uh, hopefully, at the time <laughs> that this comes out, um, launching uh, as the Gutter Review. Um, a little play mm-hmm. on panel gutters, um, but also we do uh, we primarily focus on uh, forgotten comics, uh, comics that people just don't um, think about as often anymore. The weird little uh, minutia that goes into these older comics, uh, and uh, being open to talk about uh, visual media of any kind, be it uh, comics, television, movies that tend to fall into that. Uh, I mean, similarly, what we were saying earlier, mm-hmm. like a gray area, like talking about things that subvert expectations are a little bit subversive, uh, can be a little bit controversial, and how to have discussions about those in a uh, historical context and in ways where they actually matter in a contemporary light. I think there, there's just, there's so much, um, there's so much old comics material that is uh, mm-hmm. unread and underappreciated now and as long as you can acknowledge where it comes from there's so much value to it they're so fucking cool and i just and and it's all just born and now reborn yay under uh just a love for like hey let's talk about the stuff that's uncomfortable and make it like cool if you understand what you're talking (laughs) about (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. I know I've really enjoyed um, just some uh, 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 recent articles that I, that are relevant um, um, to this show. I guess you recently there was recently a big article about uh, uh, John Smith's work in 2000 AD and sort of the early and 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 mid 90s sort of. I mean, Devlin was, of course, the big one, but we've recently in in 93 had a real like sort of. I feel like every, the that whole year has constant John Smith stories that are really feel like they're they're pushing boundaries i guess or have some really interesting concepts of things uh stuff like fire kind and slaughter bowl and tyranny rex are really amazing oh they're so good like i um i i was super excited when you told me which special we were reading because it has the john smith prose in it and i was just like oh shit he has no (laughs) idea what he's done i mean i mean (laughs) you know just to just to show that that i'm i'm a glutton for such punishment i did I, I, I did look through the 94 specials to see which one had one by him, you know, because. Oh, my dude. Yeah, no, he um, he's one of my favorite writers for so many reasons. And I just think that he's just this absolute crackpot. <laughs> and I am just I'm, I'm so gay and such a crackpot. And like, I can identify with both <laughs> of those things. <laughs> so it's it's just I, I do. I just, I love John Smith. I love John Smith in the context of when he was mm-hmm. at his peak and like where Britain was at that period and where history in general was at that period and where like queer stuff mm-hmm. was at that period. Oh, it's just, it's so good. It's so good. Absolutely. I feel very passionate. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> come on. No, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I really love his stuff too. He's re- um, just to, to read on the page, even without sort of other, other, um, outside things i think he he's one of the authors who i re- especially in this era that we're in in in, in 2080 in this podcast especially so who really goes for it just in terms of 
creating characters and creating moments within the comic. I think even as we'll see, I think in our coverage of, 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 of him today for sure. Um, so I guess, uh, besides John Smith though, how much do you have any, um, memory or knowledge or what you're like, we're in sort of this mid nineties, 2000 AD period. It's a period where so many of the, of the people who I have, who, who come on this show, they're all Brits and they started reading in Prague one. And they sort of all tell the story of like, Oh, you know, by the nineties I was turning, I was, I was getting into my twenties and discovering non-comics things basically and everybody stopped reading at this point <laughs> are, are, are you familiar kind of with this period at all i know it's sort of one that doesn't get covered very often yeah i am um, it's a I, I i've never uh i admire this podcast in particular and any podcast that goes chronologically because like i just cannot do that it is too much so uh i've i've kind of skipped mm-hmm. around a lot of uh 2000 history and I have landed a couple of times in this weird like kind of a crazy liminal space that seems to be their, their mid-90s yeah. period um, and I uh, I refuse to say how old I am uh, ever in public but <laughs> but like going and reading back some of this stuff especially if you go uh like into the mid 2000s first, or if you start back in like the early mm-hmm. 1980s, and then you just jump right into the early 90s, you're like, well, what the fuck happened? Where did, t- where did, I mean, how that's very much my here? experience. I'll tell you, like, we, you know, we, we started from Prague one, you know, 290 episodes in. So yeah. it's very that's been on these, been on these roller coasters, you know? <laughs> there are definitely, it's a very swings and roundabouts mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, I think there's some gems. I think there are definitely some gems. I also think that this is within the first five years of Mark Miller's career. And that has to be said. You, you know, we, that I feel like very much the nature of, of 2000 AD is seeing all these, all these will, will be British greats when they're still babies and figuring out sort of how, how things work, you know? Oh yeah. No, this is like the Jaws music of Mark Miller's <laughs> career. Like, just like trying to lead up to like Miller world and all of this shit. And like, and you can clearly see it, but I actually, in a way I kind of appreciate all of these new create, like all of these, like these amazing creators that we think of in this Mm -hmm. light right now, just their own and not quite knowing what their voice or what their art style is like yet. Oh, it's so cool. I love seeing stuff like that because even henry flint who does the cover on this i'm like that doesn't look I like mean, flint oh, I've, I, I've got in my recap but this is some of his first work ever like period no it's fine <laughs> you know it's um <laughs> totally no i'm um yeah I, I i think we could start shifting into the into the special itself i guess um where as we're coming into this we've just finished uh, Prague 883 on the podcast. So April 1994, um, Friday of uh, who we'll see in this special has just gotten back his bio chips. We finished up Tyranny Rex and started with a new version of The Clown. And it's a very, it, as, you, as you mentioned, actually, it's, it's a very Mark Miller period, actually, because we've got runs on uh, hit the last of his Robo Hunter run. He's doing the Grudge Father, mm-hmm. and uh, we just started uh, Babe Race 2000 as well. 
Yes. Oh no. <laughs> one of these one of these ones that gets like when you're um when you're doing rules of the rule of threes of why 2080s bad in the 90s, you know, Bay Race 2000s one of the thrills you mentioned, I think. Oh yeah, no, it's uh but I yeah, it I have too many thoughts <laughs> on Bay Race 2000. It's like oh, it's in like such a like niche little corner of misogyny that for some reason I'm just like, yeah, fuck it's it, it's one camp, of these whatever. like <laughs> I feel like so many, like we've started having like references to like lad mags and things like that in the comic that become very like, you know, I, I was a teenager at the time. I sort of it, it, it imply my own age and thinking back to this period of like, you know, when, when in, in the mid nineties, when misogyny decided that it was time, it was time it had a comeback, you know, or something like, like it had gone, you know? <laughs> bring it back. We haven't had this for a while. No, it really was. It was like a whole period where it was like cyberpunk, but let's focus right. on the butts. Like, or even, it happen? Butts and good Yeah, people. and even just like, like, you know, okay, now we're now we're going to have like a men's TV network, you know, magazine for men, all this sort of, you know, ver- things that are continuing to this day, I feel like sort of the the version of uh, make just make it make the give Put this soap in a carbon fiber box, and we'll call it the soap for men. You know, we've got to sort of yes, <laughs> sell exactly. these things specifically. Um, we, wonder why more, we wonder my why more like women weren't reading 2000 AD at the time. <laughs> I think oh, we're no. still. I don't think we, we've what? even gotten to the point where it's actively hostile towards women. I think we're still building building up to that. <laughs> in the night. I think that's under Dave Bishop, not 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 Mackenzie. <laughs> Oh yeah, but you know what? It starts to get fun mm-hmm. again. I know I'm I'm totally like I again my my morality is really really bizarre when it comes to uh, like <laughs> when it comes to like this specific area in terms of like anything gender related mm-hmm. and anything uh, like related to queer culture and stuff because looking at it in the rearview mirror, it's like, oh my God, this is all like in making fun of so many like women and, and, and non-binary folks and, and queer people, you just made it gayer. <laughs> like <laughs> in so many ways, it's the, the most anti-homosexual period is just impossibly gay. So <laughs> I love it. And then, uh, yeah, no, it's it's all good to to view things in that in that historical context. That's super super mm-hmm. important. Like it can still be a problem, um, right. which it is. Like oh my god, so much because it's still echoing now. Um, but like trying to put that problem in context is like creates yeah. part of the experience, and that is all. Important. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's yeah, just to. Think back on these times, I think it's interesting. Like, I don't know. For me, it's interesting to think back to remember, or I always have to remember that in the end, like the 90s is like, you know, 25 years ago or something. I think, you know, institutionally, I I, I read something that said like that the the, the 30 years ago was always in the 70s or like this very like 2000 view of a lot of time of of, uh, timing and stuff. Like if you say something happened thirty years ago, you could imagine that involving hippies in the Vietnam War or something. In, in my mind, yeah. at least. Oh no! I before I got on to record, I saw uh, something got retweeted into my timeline on Twitter where it was somebody saying like, "Oh my God, would I wouldn't have given to be like my age that I am now in 2014? I would have been a teenager in 2014." What? And I was like, "Why?" God, I, 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 I have 
withered and absolutely dust. I, you know, it's no good you know it's I'm getting a soft topic. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Okay, so here we go. Front cover of the special. Um, character montage by young Henry Flint to get 1994 is when he really, like, the fir- is his first work. This is very early stuff here. And an example, I think, of how a lot of times these sci-fi, sp- these specials are actually used, like, they end up being uh, uh, p- people's test runs a lot of times. Like, maybe a future shock or a dread, but it's sort of because it's not going to be in the progs and stuff. They'll sort of take a flyer on, on young talent to work on this stuff. Yeah. I love this cover. I think it's fantastic. Like you can see um, like the dread in particular, he does, a, he's always done a really good mm-hmm. snarly dread and his line work. You can see like the scratchiness and kind of like rawness that he ends up developing like way, way, mm-hmm. way down the line. But it's just it's so good. His his dread looks like the baby version of what we see in like the current, you know, mm-hmm. Flint stuff. And it's just I think that's fabulous. Yeah, I also like how he's got sort of a uh, dread crouching in the foreground. And because of his stance, also his uh, his shoulder eagles in a really weird position, which I think is always an interesting take when people have the shoulder eagle move around sort of for your for your dread style sheets, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And he also draws, uh, um, or he's also got uh, Friday and uh, Sam Slade. He draws a very alien Friday as well, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. It's very humanoid, but I kind of like that. It's different. I mean, I think it's an interesting point if you think about these, gene- you know, g- genetically engineered super soldiers, like, and especially for for the Friday version, which is very much sort of, I don't know, sort of a newer version of uh, of genetic engineering, the idea that they'd make some compromises to make them look less human for greater um, like practicality on the battlefield or something like that. I think it's an interesting concept. No, it's really, it's really cool. I do. I love the, and I, I, I can't remember for the life of me what, um, what I, this is the kind of nerd that I am. Uh, I, the kind of font that they're using for the sci-fi special mm. portion of it, I absolutely live for it. It like it's the quintessential like 2000 AD. It's like it's called Cyberotica or something similar to that. I'm sorry to any other typeface nerds out there if I get that wrong, but. Uh, it's very like uh, it's uh, a good embodiment of uh, that 1990s like we're right. living in the future yeah. sort of attitude that was very very popular in that period and it's 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 just really cool it looks very 90s it lands absolutely yeah, and I feel and this is one of these ones that I also feel like is them going crazy sort of with very early Photoshop programs and stuff like that we've seen evidence of that in the yeah. past of just like alright m- make it sideways you know <laughs> put it in this way <laughs> um, I should mention also Brigand Doom is sort of in the background sort of hiding in the explosion there I didn't quite get colored right for the uh, for the image blends in you know it's it's weird (laughs) it's kind of cool actually and then the inside cover is a very cartoonish tharg welcoming us to the special laying out the thrills to come as well as teasing um flint uh taking over in rogue trooper in the coming weeks and i don't know if you noticed but all the uh there's there's the credits on the bottom and they're all in this uh 2080 kayfabe so um alan mckenzie's mac 2 uh john cook's robo cook Editorial support droid, Atomoton, John Tomlinson, these all these guys. Uh, Steve McManus is Mac One Overseer Droid. All these guys. I I, I miss that. 
I very much not that. in this one, but in like in the annual special or in the annual and, and winter special this year as well. Um, a big feature of a lot of these specials is uh, Eric Bradbury drawing uh, basically caricatures of the editorial team as robots sort of having Tharg adventures, which I think is, 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 is very fun. All of the, all of the little droid drawings uh, that people have done throughout the years are some of my favorite things. Like the, the Alan Grant one is my favorite because it's just like, oh, you just made the most stereotypical little Scottish droid. <laughs> All of them horrible. are real stereotypical. Like, <laughs> I think the, there's a Massimo Bellardinelli one where he's like eating spaghetti as he's drawing. And I think uh, the, the Carlos Ascara one, he's literally like fighting a bull and stuff. <laughs> like they lean into him, you know. Yeah. <laughs> But with that, it's we're finally getting into it. So let's get going with Thrill One, Judge Dread. Sorry, yeah, sorry, it's podcast thing. I don't know. Reverb later. Script robot Mark Miller, art robot Peter Doherty, lettering robot Tom Frame. So this story is called Mister Bennett Joins the Judges, and I was wondering if you are familiar with British children's book slash cartoon character Mister Ben. I am. I am. I actually. I actually had uh, my partner Graham pull up <laughs> a bunch of Mr. Ben stuff for me because I was like, I know this is in reference to something. He was like, yeah, yeah, you've probably seen it and ended up showing it to me. And I was like, oh, well, that clicks it's now. Very, yeah, very much so, one of these yeah. like things that was made a, made a cartoon in the early 70s and just sort of rerun in perpetuity on British television, <laughs> apparently. So sort of a big thing for british kids and stuff but again one of these pitfalls of doing these of doing this show sometimes is bumping into british culture and being like what's going on here but i i did look up mr ben as well so we're we're well versed and ready to go here <laughs> yeah we're well, in this good. case mr bennett lives a normal life works in a bank wears a suit but livens things up by going to a costume shop and playing dress up having magical adventures Of course, this time he puts on a judge uniform and walks through the magic doorway into the future. Oh, it's a bad time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I I love Peter Doherty's art there. I said my (laughs) nice thing. I I love Peter Doherty's art in this. Like, I think he's he's a really playful, uh, a really playful, really dynamic artist for this particular Mm -hmm. strip. Which is good because I feel like no, this is this is extremely. Uh, I mean, this is very much like again written by Mark Miller and very much going for shock value. I think in this era, you know. Sure, I my thing. I reread this particular uh, strip a couple of times because I kept thinking like I get the joke. I I'm I'm okay. I'm waiting for you know. Oh, he's you know fish out of water sort of thing. And I kept rereading it over and over and over again. And I was like, why is this not working for me? Like it's a clever little you know throwback. And, I, and at the time, it was like a nostalgic mm-hmm. throwback too, right? And I kept rereading it. And I think the problem that I land on is that even though like it's a short and admittedly like really clever strip, I feel like they're not doing anything beyond the joke. No, it's very much just like. Oh, what if Mr. What if Mr. Ben had to deal with violence in Mega City One? Oh, and then people were more violent to him. Oh, and then he noticed the injustice of the justice system even more. There's something kind of fun about that, but it's fun from an outside perspective because it's this young Mark Miller who is, uh, again, at this point, probably only four years into properly 
uh, writing professionally as a, as a comic writer. And he's like, and he's like, I'll show him. I'm going to take this beloved childhood character and I'm going to put him in with the judges. That'll show him. And with him, him getting like, executed. Come on. It has like big Todd McFarlane energy where it's, where it's just like, Haha, no, mom, I'm exactly. not going to clean my room. Or anything. And that's, and there's like, there's value in that. I also, um, sorry if I'm just kind of like no, rambling fine. on. I, there's, there's part of this where it's um like he's trying to be very clever a lot of the dialogue you know a lot of the dialogue is is Mr. Ben or Mr. Bennett being very like clueless you know oh i hope the shopkeeper doesn't take too long i don't like the look of this judge dread fellow at all but everything's like really brutal and they're trying to make it kind of lyrical and it almost reads to me bear with me now like this like miller trying to figure out his writing voice and doing so by way of cop. I don't want to say copying because that's, that's Mm -hmm. a misnomer, but like uh, imitating Mm. Milligan who like, again, was kind of doing this like tongue in cheek during that period, this very tongue in cheek kind of lyrical, uh, lilting, like kind of wacky writing. And I do like, I, I I really wish that I could ask him like, how much were you influenced (laughs) by Milligan during that period and trying to figure out what you're doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's it is sort of this weird like juxtaposition. Yeah, so we sort of we see that like perps are loose in the city, and there's a lot of like dread shooting people in the face and stuff as a result of it. Uh, Bennett sort of replaced a uh, Judge McKee, which is a reference to uh, um, to yeah. David McNee, who wrote the Mister Ben books and stuff like that. That was fun. That was a cute little, yeah. a There's cute a, little thing. Yeah, they sort of all, a bunch of judges split up after the perps, and Bennett goes with a uh, Judge Kestrel, who's a lady judge who gets her arm blown off by the perps, and Bennett doesn't do what he you know just sort of stands around ineffectually until Dread saves him as well. Very much ends up as I appreciate just in a uh, oh they're hiding out in a disused fuels fuel 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 dump, so let's just blow it up. It's fine. <laughs> and and culminates with Mr. Bennett being identified as, as a jimp, a judge impersonator, and Dredd just <laughs> executing him on the spot. Jesus Christ. Yep. Right in the face. I, I will say that you know, like this is something that's still a little jarring to me, I think, because like like dread like the the summary execution where dread says the sentence is death or whatever not old, not actually mm-hmm. a, as common in the comics as you might think at least at a at this point going into the 90s yeah. and so it's yeah sorry go ahead I, no i was just going to say like i actually i i do agree with you cuz that's one of the more uh that's one of the more like unsettling parts of dread is when you actually see the 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 fascistic um, power mm-hmm. that the judges have in that in that specific regard, um, but I I couldn't I couldn't get over the uh, what he actually says when he's executing him <laughs> this time, which is fun and games of roses great <laughs> permanently. And that was what is even happening? Because you know it's supposed to be played straight, yeah. Which is which 
it's just it's I sat there savoring that for a minute. I was like, this is a bad nineties like action film. Fabulous. Yeah, well, Good. And I do think it's also interesting you see this juxtaposition, I guess just like a, in a couple pages you see these shots from between like Mr. Bennett and the judge uniform and then how Doherty draws dread as well and just how they have like different yeah. levels of detail and stuff like that. I think it's an interesting juxtaposition for these guys. But yeah. Dread blasts yes. him away and then oh sorry, and then the, the final uh coda is actual Judge McKee comes stumbling out of the magic doorway and sinisterly or ominously the <laughs> shopkeeper gives him Mr. Bennett's clothes and says, like, oh, it's a whole new world for you to live in. Like, what what's this guy's plan? Wait a minute. <laughs> oh my god, I uh I I I have this uh I had this moment reading that where I was like, Mark Miller has a knighthood. <laughs> like reading this, I was like, I was like, this was written by somebody that was knighted. Like, what? What is because the ending? I'm sorry. I'm so giggly over it. I just, I can't handle it because the, the last panel of the shopkeeper holding up the thing is literally them going, do I you think, get it? I think do these you should be about your size. And then just, just, just air, ho- yeah. bam, 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 you know, just air horns going off into the night. Like, <laughs> just like it's, it's, it's team of people putting this strip together, just elbowing the reader so hard. Like, do you get it? Do you get the joke? We made it funny. Do you get it? See, he's Mr. Ben now. Think about <laughs> it. Think about it. <laughs> We're to, to, to please recognize how deep we are. And I'm like, I'm, I'm there with you, man. I got you. Oh, man. <laughs> but it's fun. Like, I don't think it's a good strip, but I also think it's a great strip. It, yeah, it's definitely event. like <laughs> as sort of as, as as dumb as it is. I think there's sort of fun stuff to go into for sure. And I guess uh, yeah. on the topic of things that are that are also trying to be funny, and I don't know how well it lands. It's Thrill <laughs> Two Robo Hunter, a script robot Peter Hogan, art robot Simon Jacob, lettering robot robot Tom, uh, lettering robot Annie Parkhouse, Sam Slade, Robo Hunter, up against his greatest foe, the Tax Man, <laughs> or at least his angry accountant robot. I guess he. Yeah. The eternal foe of Sam owes money he doesn't have. It's a mess. He and the accountant go back and forth as Hoagie, his robot sidekick, tries to tell him that they've gotten an urgent fax because even though it's the future, it's also 1994. <laughs> we learned that Barking Benny has a the robot, you know, uh, convict has escaped custody is headed your and is headed our way. Hoagie does explain this as we see just a word bubble shouting the word revenge over and over again, gets closer and closer to the base until finally the wall crashes open and it's a big monosyllabic murder robot, not unlike Simon Jacobs, uh, armored Gideon as well. Anyway, let's run. (laughs) Oh my God. I see. I thought this was impossibly fun. I love this because it, um, my relationship with, with Mm. robo hunter is, uh, it's my relationship with Robo Hunter overall is really uh, honestly similar to my relationship with a couple of the other strips where it's just like, man, just Absolutely. have fun with it. Just have fun with it. And when, they, when, when the people who are doing it stop having fun with it is when I start, like it starts feeling like a slog. And I feel like this 
was them bringing back to what made Rowell Hunter so much fun. I agree. Fun. I, th- I think Hogan does come at it in a in a comedic way that I think is very important for the Robo Hunter character, especially because uh, Mark Miller was just going for action movie that just really seemed to miss the point a lot of the times. Yeah. And I do love like uh, Jacob's, like, I just, he just does really good robots. Mm-hmm. You can't really go along with just big hulking robots and he does it so well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you know, as much as I, I related to Armored Gideon because I feel like, again, one word kind of goldish robots. This guy is fun. He's got, you know, big gorilla guy. He's got rollers. He's got tank tread feet. You know, it's 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 fun characters. And of course, he's also bringing back doing his version on these Ian Gibson characters uh, like Hoagie and Stogie and, and these char- and these guys. Yes. Um, and like I there's just something really like. I love the panel Mm -hmm. layouts in a lot of this because they do kind of break it up and break out of the boxes and kind of like put stuff in between the panel gutters. And that's, that's, I, I'm a sucker for all of that kind of stuff. Um, But also like them having to run away from this big thing. And it's just, are you, are you insured? Are you sure? Do we have insurance for this? (laughs) Like obviously I can't (laughs) afford insurance. And then it it turns out that because of all the destruction, he's Sam's once again operating at a loss. And so, he doesn't have to pay taxes anymore. <laughs> yes. It's okay. Destroy everything. Just run through everywhere. Just mess everything up. The more, the better. Runs Let's through, do this. breaks his CD collection because it's still 1994. Yeah. You know, and eventually Sam yells at Hoagie to get all the guns. And he does and starts yeah. shooting at, um, at the bot. And like you said, with the panel gutters, every time he shoots, there's just a solid line of a thrack-a-boom explosion. Like, we don't even see the gun fire. He just kind of, like, it just takes up the entire world when the gun goes off, just in this one single line panel. It's, I, I love all of the, all of the sound effects that they have in here. It's so much, it's, I, I'm, I, again, I'm just a sucker for that sort of stuff. But I just, it's, it's so silly. <laughs> like, let's, let's, <laughs> Let's hope. Let's hope the cops show up to take a look at this. So that we can tell them that it always looks <laughs> like this. It's not that big of a deal. And like I, uh, it's just it's it's very good. It's it's very it's so it's as fun as a comic strip about a guy and his <laughs> bunch of robot buddies need to be. And it doesn't always have to be action action all the time. It can be action action, and you can still mm-hmm. have a laugh about it. And. Honestly, that's what sells me on a lot of 2080 period. It's like it can be this this big, you know, kind of outlandish, crazy futuristic thing. And like humor is uh, evergreen. Absolutely. Right? So even if so even if a comic doesn't play to uh, the sensibilities of the genre anymore, the humor will. And that's like Robo this Robo Hunter brings that point home at least nice yeah no i i like i think it's pretty fun too i guess i'm sorry sorry i think our our editorial line in space spitters being down on robo hunter because we've been hurt so many times um in recent in recent years i think um i'm hopeful for this hogan run um we've sort of we've seen a little piece of it which was actually kind of hurt by some secondary artistic problems it had some bad lettering and so that actually made it really hard to read but I'm excited for just someone who's aware that Robo Hunter is supposed to be funny and primarily a, a comedy strip, I guess, as opposed to maybe an action strip that might have a joke or two or something like that. Well, I won't, I won't <laughs> spoil it for you, but like 
but you know, Peter Hogan, he come he comes through for the people, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's it's very down mm-hmm. to earth. And that's I've read that's some of it. Yeah, I'm just you know, I've read like the first thousand progs or so, and then catching up through the podcast here. But at this point, all the stuff that I've read in my first run is getting very hazy <laughs> in terms of like that last two hundred yeah, well. progs. There's a lot, you know. Um, and I do really like how in this one it, it it ends after the cops finally show up and take the uh, take the bot away, give him a small stipend, which the account with which the accountant swaps uh, swipes right away. Sam gets two faxes: one to take out a, a chainsaw cyborg, and another one misidentifying <laughs> him as 1970s glam rock band Slade. <laughs> and, offering him a job at a revival concert for a hundred thousand creds which he immediately takes and we see yeah see i'm sorry go ahead i no i just had this whole moment that that splash page at the end where he looks like naughty holder i was like i want a print of this i want to hang this in my house come on feel your nose is one of come on feel your nose (laughs) exactly uh, with the platform boots and everything. Uh, it's just, it's a really, really good page to land on. And it comes out it's of just nowhere. Like, it just, <laughs> just, just a, a total like family guy smash cut, basically. <laughs> More or less. But it works. I think it's fun. Yeah, I absolutely. I, I mean, it's exactly it. the kind of thing that a bunch of like crazy robots in the Robo Hunter world would do, you know, because it's all a robot crowd looking at it too. They don't know that. <laughs> Slade would have died a hundred years ago or something, you know? Exactly. All right. And say, so I guess moving on to more uh, things that died years ago or no, bringing back flash from the past, I guess it's real three fast breeder. Our tech story script robot, John Smith, art robot, Pauline Doyle. And this one's very exciting. It's a, it's a, it's a strontium dogs story. So just tales of uh, mutant bounty hunters getting out there in space. And it is the least strontium dog story that has ever existed. (laughs) And I love it. it. Oh my God. But also like, it's a Smith story before you even start reading the actual text because it's called fast (laughs) breeder. (laughs) Like just right off the jump. I'm like, Oh yeah, no, this tracks. This is all correct. Um, and like, there's the, the wanted mm-hmm. poster there, like for the brutal murder of 197 people, Lazarus Samacand. And if you read the little thing, uh, he talks about, he's known as the pale Messiah and he's the faith healer turned murderer, all of this stuff. And I was just like, of course <laughs> he is. Smith loves a lecherous religious figure so much. Like, if you look at the the later Tyranny Rex stuff, I mean, the Tyranny Rex uh, stuff we just did, yeah, Jeff yeah, what what we just covered actually, yeah, definitely Rex. does. Oh God, he just loves like a really like filthy, horny <laughs> religious figure, and so this it's on brand. It's 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 kind of it kind of lays itself out perfectly. Um, it's just I, I I'm so excited to talk about this one in particular. <laughs> totally, yeah. So I'll, I'll say I'm not familiar with with Pauline Doyle. I, th- I know she's done some work with Smith in the past, just because she's credited on Indigo Prime collection as well. Um, yeah, but not a ton of stuff in comics, at least that I could find through through some quick googling. I guess. Yeah, I, I kind of I kind of looked into her as well, and there are a couple of credits here and there, but this seems to be like one of the uh i mean it's technically not even really a comic is it 
but it's uh, she seems to just kind of be just a generally very yeah. cool artist for the period. Hey, fine. Yeah, awesome, absolutely. Come actually. on. <laughs> but so, yes, yeah, so like you said, we sort of see this wanted poster of Lazarus, Sam McCann, and then quickly meet some strontium dogs, uh, Sketter and Lutz. Sketter's a big guy with two faces. Lutz, Lutz is a hunchback dwarf with six fingers and razor sharp nails. Sketter gets shot by a geisha and ends up in a hospital where they then get a lead on catching Samarkand. Yes. Um, I just, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying, it's, it's, I, I took notes, but I'm, I'm trying to like compile mm-hmm. it in my head. Because it starts out, uh, as most Smith stories do, with mm-hmm. a purpose. And it just kind of tapers a, well, off. Well, yeah. I mean, there. I would say that's a big part but, of John. My What I love about John Smith's mo- writing is just you. it's always building to these moments where things get very stream of consciousness. The body horror starts up, you know, and just sort of <laughs> things sort of build to this yes. crescendo, you know. I... Uh, I read, I read through this and it becomes, I can't remember where they're at. How much more of his like proper prose stories were there before this? I'm not good with the, with as far as like. Oh, a ton. I mean, I would say for the last, maybe for the last, maybe four (laughs) years or so, like, like I was surprised there was only one Smith story here because there's been like, I feel like in 93 and 92, like every special had a John Smith uh, prose story in it. There was Tyranny Rex ones Mm -hmm. and Indigo Prime one. And, and. Um, but anyway, like just reading this one specifically, I was like, oh, he's been reading William mm. Gibson and, or like, uh, he, or like go, going back and like having a nice little revisit with some like Philip mm-hmm. K. Dick or something. It reads like that very, um, kind of sludgy, uncomfortable, but really well paced, um, kind of mm-hmm. cyberpunk sort of thing to it. And I just, it's, it's just really good. I think it lends he lends himself so well to prose. Um, and I, and I said controversial take here because I am, uh, nothing if not absolutely <laughs> mad for, uh, for, for Smith's comics and all the amazing artists that he's, he's <laughs> been paired with over the years. But I always think that he lends himself better to prose with some of these stories just because he, um, I, I feel like he's so good at making room for his <laughs> descriptions because he he's so and he's really good at leaving um he's really good at leaving room for the imagination in a way that uh, does make stories like this more uncomfortable and more kind of unsettling and and i like i don't think this story would be as effective as it is um if it was done with like Mm -hmm. paneled artwork yeah, I think some of his real – like I would say something that I think really sets him apart, especially in these – like I've read a lot of prose stories over the years in these specials and annuals of varying qualities. And what I really like about Smith is just that it seems like he's actually writing a story, I guess. A lot of times these prose yeah. stories can just sort of seem like they're comic – they're scripts for comics with a few more adjectives or something like that. Whereas this actually feels like it's exactly. it's purpose written for this situation. Yeah, like he he suggests things without actually describing, and that's uh, it's just really cool, especially on something like a, that includes body horror. Um, I think leaving that little bit of room to kind of give you the sensation of what it's supposed to be instead of telling you what it is uh, adds that like itch under your skin that yeah. you get. 
trying to read something. I also, I wrote down here that it reminded me of the movie mm. Slither. Have you ever seen Slither? Like the, uh, I remember the, it. I don't um, think I've watched it in a long time, though. Yeah, where... See, now I'm bothered because it was, um, uh, what's his face? Who did all the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and, and all of that shit? Uh, anyway, so, uh, but like this, this yeah, James weird Gunn. Yeah. Sorry. thing. James Gunn, thank you. Um, uh, it's very hot in my <laughs> office right now. <laughs> so like these, so this, this brain worm has infested Sam mm-hmm. McCann's head and, and like, and it's it's uh, kind of controlling him and telling him that like he needs to find a mate because brain worms only like they live for ages but they only breed once you know and and they're trying to hunt down this this they're they're trying to hunt down this guy with this horrible brain worm who's <laughs> desperately trying to find other brain worms to mate with and I wrote it down and so it says there's a male brain worm and a female brain worm and combined then they, to make like, a third a male- third gender that actually like creates the embryos and stuff like that <laughs> oh my God. I, I have a little note here that just says just let the brain worms have their non-binary american dream because like, <laughs> the, the, the problem is that like so many American dreams, it's built on the uh, on the forcibly extracted pineal glands of innocent people. You know, like that's the challenge. You don't like I'm just saying I understand. And <laughs> like I'm, I'm just what who who among us genderqueers does not want to just burst forth a bunch of inhuman little babies. So, I want to say, actually, so. When we when we started this story, you said that it wasn't super strontian dog. But what I actually love about this story is that this um, uh, brain wraith is a strontium dog villain. Uh, it's um, Johnny Wolf and a midden face McNulty fought a brain wraith in a uh, Prague's four fifteen to four twenty or four twenty four. Like with these scanners that the mutants use at the end and like yeah. vacuum guns to suck them up once they escape from people's heads and stuff. Which is impossibly cool. Like what a weird like. Absolutely. Yeah. What I love about it is that it's taking like it's it honestly this feels like John Smith also reading just going over some old Strontium dog story. Like like I've been given a Strontium dog story. What 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 can I use? You know, and <laughs> seeing this exactly. old one from 1985 about a brain parasite and being like, OK, yeah, no, f- sorted. I'm 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 ready to go. You know, <laughs> that one. I also, um, in true Smith fashion too. So like the, the brain wraith is looking for its female partner and it's controlling Samacand. And here's where I have a lot of fun with this because Smith knows how to make people, um, make mm-hmm. people uncomfortable in a good, in a way that lands really well. And one, as an American reading this, it is uh, very different. So like the, um, Samacand goes after this one girl who is working at a mm-hmm. brothel, who is 15 years old. And as an American, I was like, ah! But, <laughs> but of course, the age of consent in America is 18, uh, where it's 16 in the UK. And so, like, that parses mm-hmm. really weird um, across the water. But then what's, what's better either way is that this guy is not attracted to this 16-year-old sex worker at all. His brainworm is attracted to the brainworm living in the 16-year-old brothel girl's head. And like, and like the level, there's there's layers 
of discomfort and like squeamishness that goes into thinking about that, where he's like, you have to try and fuck this 16 year old sex worker. Not really. The brain worms just want to fuck. Like, yeah, and then you see him doing it, and there's a lot of like bone merging yeah. and feeder tubes involved and stuff like that. Uh, yes, that's where the slither part comes in for me, where it's just like, ah, uh, tubes attaching. Even the word tubes in relation to anything like feeding or sexual, mm-hmm. I was just like, whoa, this is perfect. I love it. I should mention, um, actually, I really like a part where the the astronium dogs are like, we got to find this guy. We'll need a psychic. And a psychic just kind of shows up because they could tell through their psychic yeah. abilities. You know, like, why would I, it's the joke of like, why do I have to call? Why do I have to call a psychic hotline if they're psychic? They should call me. And that's what happens. Like, it just sort of, she just sort of shows up. Like, you guys need a psychic? <laughs> exactly. Well, those are the kind of jokes that Smith does write really well, right? Where, where it's just kind of like, uh, it's very tongue in cheek and it's very uh, like, ha, right. get it? Think about it. <laughs> right. And then just this weird moment of her, you know, divining the future through a fish tank and a bloody retainer and stuff. It's very, yeah. very fun moment, I guess. <laughs> yes. Um, but like they, what is it? They eventually kind of catch up with this thing and it's. It's on an. It's on an. It, yeah. It, uh, well, yeah. After it, after it mates with the other brain worm and becomes the third yeah. gender um, uh, uh, construct or whatever. Yeah. It, is, it escapes to a leper to an old leper colony, as you do on a on a planet where it's constantly raining a heavily um, cacarus or whatever, like very lime. Uh, yeah calcareous rain so everything's covered in lime scale and the trees are all petrified and stuff like that yeah but you know what this part of the story is where everything starts seeming very Mm, moist absolutely (laughs) specifically that that term which many people find uncomfortable absolutely Mm, yes it's the best term to use when talking about anything like body horror related because it's just like just slather that shit on um um but I, I, I'm tickled by uh, the way he decides to write. Like, so they're they're now aware that all of these people have these brain worms, and they're gonna burst their heads out are of their getting heads all big and, and distended and gross. And they're and they're lepers, yeah, and so there's like an extra layer of things on top of it and stuff. Ah, oh, geez. Again, we bring back the tube thing because he describes like somebody's arm as a withered tube, and I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> the good stuff. But he, like, but they, um. They, they, there's a, a scene that you get a quick description of that we don't really uh, see, quote unquote, where they like stock up on all of the stuff mentioned in the previous progs with strontium dogs, right? Where they get this this mm-hmm. sucker gun and this protective gear, and uh, but they're like, there's this many people. We're going to be so yeah. rich, dude. It's, still, it's like, still money. They're like, oh man, half a million credits for each wraith. Come on. <laughs> yeah. It's like because, and honestly, like they don't know where whoever is taking these rates is going to like give them to or or what they're going to do with them. But it's the very like bounty hunter, well, money is money, I guess, sort of mentality that kind of is a streamline through a lot of Strontium Dog, which just absolutely, yeah, they, they reach a point where. The so the wraiths are just starting; they're hatching, they're bursting out of people's brains, and there's a really fun. Um, what do you call it? 
Scanners, the movie where the guy's head explodes, you know, <laughs> like one, there's a big yeah, picture yeah. of one of the demons popping out of a guy's head and just really That's and just really terrifying imagery of people, you know, clawing at their faces. This black ghost appears and stuff. And they end up being led to this part of the compound where there's a big like bioorganic teleporter. And the rates while being sent to some unknown place. And, and like you said, with the money, there's a really, I think there's a really funny part where there's sort of like, man, we bag like 50 of these things. <laughs> like we could just, we could just stop yeah. now, you know? <laughs> yeah, we and be right there like, nah, like let's go for the gusto here and get, you know, double our money basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's a, uh, yeah, the teleporter. Because they're like, well, where are they going to go? Screw it. Let's leave. And then they find out that there is like a teleportation so that these brain rates can go wherever they want, <laughs> which is sort of like a terrifying concept. I think you saying yeah. scanners earlier is very fitting because a lot of this seems very Cronenberg mm-hmm. to me, um, which is just like this horrible thing is happening. It can <laughs> happen a matter of time before uh, a brain wraith gets into you, you know? Yeah, it can teleport anytime. And there's, of course, like the... Uh, the absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous artwork uh, from Pauline Doyle. The the, mm-hmm. the last image for this is this beautiful gouache um, painted splash page of somebody's head, like a, the top half of a man's head exploding while he has this really vacant mm-hmm. expression. And it's oh, it's just done in black. And it's, oh, it's so gorgeous. It's so pretty. And I also, I was like, I wish I had a print of this. Um, but it's, it, it, it kind of sticks with the icky sort mm-hmm. of feeling that this, this story goes on. Absolutely. Um, and the, uh, but I guess they, you know, they're trying to, they get overrun by these brain rice because they're yeah. only two dudes um, who <laughs> thought that was a good idea. Um, but now here's, here's where my, my eternal love Smith really, really hits home. You can see where he was like, ah, oh, shit, I have to wrap it up. And <laughs> he does in every single story. It's every story he has, he has ever written. The end doesn't have to make sense, but it ends very suddenly. And it's like, there's this deus ex machina moment. And then everything just ends up okay. And then more importantly, two sad boys hug and it's fine. <laughs> Because it ends with, with them like finally breaking through these like stalactites yeah, well, you know, that are. It's that Skedder has two heads, and one of his heads or one of his faces basically has black bolt powers from uh, Inhumans. Yeah. You know, like, and they they break that <laughs> apart, and there's no more teleportation. So it's yeah, all groovy, fine. I guess. Sad boys hug <laughs> and then walk off with sixty million creds worth of brain race. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> And I'm just like, I, I, but here's the, I actually really, really love, there's several stories where Smith kind of like wraps it up really quickly, but like, and everything's fine. And then boys hug, um, <laughs> which, which is really great. Now I, I was thinking about it and I think this is the last proper story where Smith kind of ends mm. like that, where it's this, like, things aren't good, but things are nice because I got to go home with the bestie <laughs> and lots of money. Um, like there's something inherently I'm reading into it. So everybody has to forgive me. It ends really gay. And I love that. <laughs> and I 
think it just ends like really, really sweet and really gay, which makes up for the fact that there is a 2000 AD ad at the bottom of this page that is super racist. <laughs> uh, come on. Nine out of 10 Eskimos <laughs> voted 2000 AD the coolest. Oh Man. They just draw them with fuzzy parkas and slanted eyes. Good Lord. That like it's 1984. Y'all knew better. This is this is it's close <laughs> enough to the present that we shouldn't be doing this. You know. <laughs> I was just like, well, what a way to you had to publish it on I that mean, page. You know, okay. it's a weird period. Bye. We just had a ton of at the start of '94. There's a ton of like anti-Hispanic and 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 Latino stuff as well. It's just like, oh, it's a lot. You're never yeah, we're never free of well, it. Apparently, you know. Now, one more for the pile. Absolutely. I you know, suppose. Listen, at some point, at some point, just like this is, you know, come on, guys, we can be we can be better than this. It's not it's not super difficult. Um. Yeah. Anyway, but that like that the end of Fast Breeder, I just I really really loved it. I I think it's like weirdly yeah. touching. Um. <laughs> and it, I, it 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 just it lands really abruptly, but in a way that you're just kind of like, huh. Yeah. All right. And I think they sort of, you know, they, they set up the second face enough, sort of pops up. You're like, oh, man, like he's doing yeah. stuff. That's awesome. And yet again, you know, just sort of bros being pals, always a good end. You know, I don't know. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Bros being pals and hugging and kissing. <laughs> Live it up. <laughs> All right. Uh. But yeah, so let's keep going uh, with while we're bending minds and breaking realities to thrill for tales from beyond science. Uh, I want to do the next okay, one. Please. Of those. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Script robot, Mark Miller, art robot, Ryan Hughes, letting robot, Ellie DeVille. This is the final yep. entry of this future shock adjacent series. Uh, Anyway, space doesn't exist. The world is flat. And anything that says otherwise is the work of special effects wizard Ralph Ellison. (laughs) He's faked it all from Yuri Gagarin to Neil Armstrong. But one day he's contacted by an astronomer and um, uh, an astronomer named Amy Hattonstone. And despite the advice of the CIA, he goes to talk to her. He meets her at a diner on the edge of town. She's there with Air Force test pilot Buzz Dixon. They both know space doesn't exist, or rather, Dixon explained space ceased to exist in 1947. Whoa. Um, he talks about flying in the North Pole and then hitting an invisible wall, and after that being, di- being discharged. Hattinson said she'd looked through a telescope and saw a human face among the stars, and she couldn't keep quiet, so the government killed her mom, her girlfriend, and her cats. Is weird. <laughs> Possible early lesbian in 2018? I don't know. <laughs> Could be. A worried Allison rushes home but finds his family dead as well, so the trio decides they have nothing to lose and head to the North Pole to the Invisible Wall to see what the deal is. Um, and then our host, Hillary Tremaine, reveals that they're actually inside a tiny snow globe. Oh, no. Wait, what's that? <laughs> a giant car tire suddenly smashes through his house and kills him. It's revealed that he himself was just a doll that a girl was playing with in a car, in a suburban driveway and her dad ran him over. But then when the snow globe breaks, suddenly the sky cracks open and the world ends with the sound of breaking glass. Oh, no, it's a thing within a thing. <laughs> within a thing. <laughs> Honestly, they should have paid the Twilight Zone creators for making this comic. <laughs> the 
this is very, very much one of these, like, I feel like it's an iteration on it, but like, you know, the, 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 the world is actually very small or the plaything of some space child or something classic future shock story right up there with the alien invading yeah. army is very small or um, like the people who you think are aliens are actually humans and vice versa in terms of these classic tales. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it is what it is, right? I don't think it breaks too far out of stuff that's already been done, but it's a great pastiche on like the weird camp horror that was super popular in the 50s. Absolutely. And, 60s. and that's what this sort of Tales from Beyond Science story is. Like, series it yeah. has been, it's mostly Ryan Johnson art and then just sort of these Twilight Zony type things. Oh my God. I am just, I am, I would bend over backwards for sorry, Ryan sorry, Hughes. Sorry. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, Ryan Hughes, I mean, I'm sorry, I said the wrong Ryan. Very confusing. I'm sorry. No, like I I think that uh I I think that if any other artist had done this, it wouldn't be quite as like mm-hmm. goofy and camp as it is. But it's it's Ryan Hughes. His whole deal is working uh like retro into the contemporary. And it just it it fits so well and everything's mm-hmm. so crisp and it's it's really fun. I think it's good. I, I It's a strip that I ended up li- liking a lot. It has aged hilariously considering all of the like whack job conspiracy theorists that we have uh, like populating. Absolutely. Yeah. Right it's to a point where I'm like, oh, that's not where the glass, that's not where the wall is for flat earth. It's a, on the South Pole, not the North Pole. Come on. <laughs> Get it together, people. <laughs> figure figure out your together. flat earth cosmologies, you know? Exactly. No, I, I I thought it was fun. I thought yeah. it was fun for what it is. No, yeah, I, you know, I, I appreciate very much it. working towards these punchlines and sort of getting to them. You know, <laughs> and you just summed up Mark Miller's. All first right, there we go. <laughs> you did it. You nailed it. All right. So our next story, I guess, also more more things from the past. If, if you'd like to handle it this time, thrill five. Okay. Is it, is it okay. Thrill five. Dread. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Script robot John Wagner and Alan Grant, art robot Barry Kitts, and letting robot Gary Lip. Daily dreads here. Um, it's a it's the first time in a while yeah. we, we've had these, but they're always fun. These comics ran from September twelfth to October thirtieth, nineteen eighty seven. Yep, and they're great. This is one of my favorite dread stories ever. yeah stories called uh crime of passion very similar to other dread stories where ladies have fallen in love with the lawman of the future you know standards or classic stuff i should say um yeah dreads called the webster comics for a domestic dispute where a guy named barrel is demanding a woman named vera marry him but she won't and I should mention, she's got kind of this mushroom cap haircut with like a ponytail. Yeah. This is a distinctive look. I, I am living for her mullet. I wrote, I have a note here that says, what if the Beatles had a rat tail redneck face? <laughs> it's kind of, it kind of looks like a tadpole from behind or something. It's ridiculous. It's so hot. It is, it is a whole thing. <laughs> um, she says she doesn't have the, he doesn't have the guts to shoot her. She just wants a man who's strong enough to blow her away without a second thought. Why can't she meet someone like that and then crash <laughs> dread person? <laughs> it is the law. <laughs> when Barrow doesn't drop the gun, Dredd shoots him and the day is saved. 
Um, and as he's taken away, Vera Pilcher is clearly taken with dread. Anyway, back at the Grand Hall, Chief Silver tells Dredd a reporter will be coming with him on patrol tomorrow, and it's Vera Pilcher now deeply in love with Dredd. Dredd doesn't notice, though, and of course, just makes her sign a release waiver, and they're off. They blast. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, go on. I'm just, I, the story makes me laugh so much. Totally. Yeah. Well, and it's just, it's at, because the daily comic, you know, it's at this pace, there's five, 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 uh, comics per page so it just kind of keeps going very and quickly it, but it, here the weird part is i feel like when you collect daily strips like that a lot of the times they don't fit together this well and mm. oh it fits together like a perfect little puzzle yeah. and it it is so like quickly and funny but like that's unsurprising though because it's wagner and grant and this like that period of wagner and grant in particular they were just they they knew their comedy beats. absolutely yeah i i would be interested to see this man in a daily comic just because there isn't that sort of like recap cliffhanger structure so yeah. i feel like just stepping into this one day could be a challenge in terms of just figure out what's going on you know it would um, definitely be something yeah um, um, so we, so so they blast through the city. Dread takes out gunmen, muggers, and eventually evil, deadly alien were apes. Uh, Pilcher <laughs> goes in to get a photo and gets grabbed by her uh, by her mullet ponytail by one of the apes. <laughs> Dread saves her and then catches her as she falls, and she kisses him, and it lasts for four panels in the course of two days. So painfully good. It's the four panels for me. I just cackle every single time because she looks like she's drawn so passionately and like she's really into it. And Dredd is just not like his expression doesn't change across the four panels. He's very much just standing there. It be, it's like kissing like a statue, basically. Yeah, I just I love that part so much. <laughs> totally. Yeah. After he kisses, Dredd pushes her away and threatens to arrest her for assault, which is always my favorite Dredd thing. When, you know, you, someone kisses him, he's like that six months in the cubes. <laughs> she asks him out to dinner but he says no way of course there's only one love in his life the law but she's undeterred calls the justice department to talk to dread her boss is affecting her work and she starts to cry she might as well be dead climbs out a window and dread gets a call of a leap of a possible leaper asking for him he arrives on the scene, explains the situation to the other judges who joke about anyone falling in love with dread and then he has to talk her down um, when tough talk doesn't work, instead he starts to he says that she that he actually does really love her and care about her and stuff. She asks if he's lying. She says judges can't lie. <laughs> <laughs> when she comes in, he just grabs her and says like, "Of course I don't love you. Get out of here." She's like, "But you said you you don't lie." He's like, "Yeah, I, I lied about that too." <laughs> I lied about that too. <laughs> So she responds by grabbing, by grabbing Dredd's lawgiver. And of course, I appreciate just the history that, you know, Kitson knows that Dredd's gun is in his ankle holster. So she pulls it from there. And it's a standoff like the one at the start of the story. But of course, she has forgotten that lawgivers are booby trapped and explode in the hands of non-judges. Yep. So she's thus thus injured. She's also charged with attempted murder. Dreads dread heads out, and of course, we all know Dreads already married to the law. Yes. <laughs> I, like this story is so much fun because it's very much the 
the early days of like thirsty internet culture of like, oh, hit me and fuck me. <laughs> and like, it's very that. <laughs> it reads like that to me. Mm-hmm. But it's also everybody like Dredd is, is uh, basically played as like this asexual icon, uh, which uh, Tom Shapira has written a wonderful piece about. And, and everybody should go seek it out because it's in, impossibly good. Um, but it's played for laughs for obvious reasons, but it it's not something that I think any sane person, aside from maybe me, because I'm a horrible pervert, uh, <laughs> like thinks about where, oh, of course there are people that want that have like judge fetishes in Mega City Wine. Oh yeah. Like of course they do. Like it's it's the same reason why a bunch of people have like other super problematic fetishes, like like Nazi uniforms and shit like that. The most fearsome figures inspire desire in some people. So it's kind of cool to see that. I don't know if that's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> there's a there's a dread mega special or maybe and one of the specials where there's one where there's a story by, by by Shaky Kane about a lady who is using like virtual reality to like uh, have a judge uh, ha- have sex with a judge in, in a fantasy oh, as well. No, I haven't read that I'll, one. I'll, I'll, I'll link it to you. <laughs> yeah, we've we've covered it on the show. It's 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 got some other weird stuff in the end, but <laughs> that's that element of uh, it is is really interesting. Um, also, I I took the most unhinged notes trying to trying to read through these, and I put like the. Vera Pilcher, didn't I shoot your boyfriend last week? I was like, this is the weirdest dystopian cuckold fantasy. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) And (laughs) and didn't I shoot your boyfriend last week? And she's like, oh, yes. So, (laughs) and I just, I don't know how to cope with that. But on a more serious note, one, one last little thing. I think that Kitson's dread is killer because he is staring down Boland right in the face. He does a great, like very sneery dread. Absolutely. Yeah. I think he does a real, yeah. He's got a really good like baseline dread. I want to say like yeah, a, yeah. a dread you can set your watch by. If that makes sense. Like he does a really good, like, like, and I, I say standard dread and that may, that sounds like very disparaging, but I don't mean it. To no. Me. He sounds yeah. a- I say sneery dread. Like he looks like he's having a stroke, but it's fierce. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, I, I think that's a good thing. I, I don't know. I, I really like the art in this. I think it's super, I think it's super fun. There are a couple of panels that are very manga like to me, Hmm. Um, especially when he's like, I lied about that too. I'm like, Oh, that's a, that's a fucking manga panel, like an evil villain manga. Oh yeah. Well, cause it's got the, uh, the reflect, like he's all in black, except the reflection of his visor, you know, the evil anime glasses, you know, so cool. (laughs) Like just the, yeah, the lightning bolts from the shine of his visor. Oh man. Yes. All right. It's perfect. Very cinematic, which means we can quickly go to thrill six frame by frame. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is just a quick feature, kind of self-indulgent by Alan McKenzie, a rundown of movies and TV shows based on comics from the dawn of film to 1994 it's or so. so self-indulgent. Like, he was just like, I'm going to write something that makes me happy. That's right. And of course, hipster Alan McKenzie hates everything except for things that would be very hard to find. Like, I think the only thing that gets unabashed praise is like Shogun Assassin or something like that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which is, which is really I mean, respect, I guess. Um, but it feels like very, it, like, you wouldn't have heard of this, you know, and that's why I like it almost. Sure, but it's, uh, there's, there's like a special kind of, uh, 
it, yeah, it, it is. It's very like low key gatekeepy. Absolutely. And yeah. It's really funny because it's all stuff that's like super easy to find now. Because um, <laughs> right. it's just like, oh, this hasn't aged well for you, has it, sir? You just look like a little bit of a jerk because I can pull this up on my TV right yeah. now. And, <laughs> but it's, I, I, I think it's fun. I don't really see the. Uh, it felt like a little bit of a slog in the middle of an issue. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so many of these text pieces are for sure. Yeah. I do think it's kind of interesting as as a time capsule, just of the state of comic book movies in 1994. I guess like only a couple years before comic book movies take movies, you know, superhero movies and stuff kind of take over film. I guess. Yeah, it was. Like uh, there were some good ones. Yeah, listen, ups and downs. That a conversation for another time, certainly. <laughs> you know. But yeah, but that takes us getting to the end here. Speaking of Alan McKenzie doing self-indulgent stories, it's thrill seven, brigand do. Doesn't your throat hurt doing that so much? I mean, we did a 24-hour marathon about Star Lord, and I did the voice for the first episode for the first two episodes, and after that I just stopped because I would have died, you know. <laughs> You need like a little bag of halls next to you. I'm, I'm fine. It's exciting. You know, we got to gotta give these thrills their due. Uh, <laughs> script robot, Alan McKenzie, art robot, Dave DeAntiki, lettering robot, Annie Parkhouse. Not a special without Brigand Doom, of course. Um, will be in all three 2000 AD specials this year. And I like this watercolored art by um, DeAntiki, although I got to say the the harsh black and whites are... are are why I, I fell in love with Brigand Doom. So this color version sort of feels less to me. I really? Guess. I actually like, I had, don't get me wrong. I agree with like the, the really, the, the starkness of, of the black and white mm-hmm. uh, was kind of a, the perfect landing point. Uh, just starting to read it, but oh my God, when I, when I saw that Brigand Doom was in here and I went and scrolled through it and it was entirely in color, I was like, oh my God, how ridiculously pretty is this? I mean, I, I, again, it's just that it's different for the character and stuff. I really love these, like this watercolor look is really cool. I think like it, it is, it is different than things that we've seen else that we're, we're seeing elsewhere in the comics, like just a different way of, of, of getting painted yeah. work in here. Um, um yep. It's really, it's, uh, this came across to me as a very, um, uh, it's a, I mean, it's kind of like a Robin Hood story, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a 2008 version of V for Vendetta, which is kind of ironic, but like it's the populist hero, uh, story, but I, I don't know it, 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 that feels somewhat unclear from the story to mm-hmm. me. Uh, maybe I am entirely off base. It feels like it's missing pages. It, it very much comes, just jumps right to, like, finishes up very quickly and stuff. I think there's been some effort in these in these stories to establish Doom yeah, as a sort of writer of wrongs in this kind of cyberpunk, like, or, I don't know, like, <laughs> bureaucracy punk setting or something. Yeah. <laughs> But like, I don't know, for me, Brigand Doom's really been muddy just because there's been a couple stories in the progs that have had to do a lot with like voodoo and spirituality and stuff, which I feel like sure. have diluted that aspect of the character, this sort of the, the V for Vendetta or Robin Hood-esque points of the character, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Like everything feels like it makes sense to me up until he meets the beggar king. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it sort of falls apart for me. <laughs> I don't <laughs> 
It was just like, oh, and now he's the guy right. on the street. He just kind of, gra- yeah, <laughs> sorry. It's, yeah, he's, so we're in the city and Brigand Doom sort of meets a beggar is getting beaten up by the tufts of the beggar king. And so he sort of follows a late, um, follows one of the other beggars home and finds him, planks his, um, you know, combat drug or whatever. And then we just see him grab the beggar king and suddenly it's the next day and the beggar king is just another guy on the street asking for money, I guess. Yep. That's it. I, you know, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just kind of where it lands and you just go, Oh, Okay. It reminds me of this um this uh thing from from uh Garth Marenghi's Dark Place where he goes, I know people who use sub- I know writers who use subtext and they're <laughs> all cowards. <Yeah. laughs> Absolutely. Like, so many of these stories make me think of. <laughs> I mean it's very like yeah, on on our show we've just we we we've got kind of a joke of uh just oh you you took the subtext and just made it text, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, there's no reason to hide, you know. <laughs> Just come out and say it. Why, it's fine. Why, why have re, why have uh, media literacy when I can just say it? Yeah. I, let's just, let's just get it out of the way. Let's just handle it. I only got six pages, you know. <laughs> gotta, gotta get it out there. No room, for, no room for interpretation. <laughs> and that takes us to our final story: Thrill Eight Rogue Trooper. Script about Steve White, art robot Henry Flint, learning about Annie Parkhouse. And this is our first full thrill by Henry, Henry Flint in the podcast. Of course, going to do a ton of stuff. Yay. In 2080, in the Meg, Zombo, Shakara, Proteus Rex most recently, and then tons of Dread and other things I like that. I am so I said it at the beginning with the cover, but I am just ridiculously in love with uh, with with early Flint. I think it's, it's very... um. There are a lot of panels in here that are very, uh, they look very street art inspired to me. Mm. It looks like 1990s, like hip hop culture, street art sort of thing. There are a lot of like unique, um, there are a lot of unique angles, like uh, even just the second page where where he's, there's an explosion uh, right behind him. And and like his his nose is like, is like half the size of his mouth or like his, his like, and it's just all these very bizarre like angles and, and he's playing with proportions in ways that were really, really prevalent in like more uh, like urban street art and, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. at least in America. Um, but that's like, that's my two cents. I just, I think that, I think that um, Flint carries this in a pretty big way. Um but so does Annie Parkhouse, honestly. The lettering, like Annie's the best of the best. Uh, but Absolutely. I think I think her lettering makes a lot of difference too. Yeah, there's some really fun stuff. Just yeah, in the in this like just as we see all these guys, like all these ones guys talking around and stuff like that. Very sound effects and stuff. Also, this is sort of the debut of Friday with biochips. I guess we've just seen them get them in the. In in the Prague and sort of the first sort of full adventure with them all in place. It's um because what was it? There was like the the po- it's this is the post reboot yes. that they did in nineteen ninety 1990 or nineteen ninety one where there was no biochips and he was all alone on his own. And then it's right. It's still before they kind of go back to the fan standard of what Rogue Trooper is about. Yes, yeah. I well, I think there's like. 
eventually like sorry spoilers i guess but you know he'll 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 bump back in to rogue and the other bio chips and venus blue jeans i think at some point and sort of all yeah. all start hanging out together i guess but yeah so you know the the timeline is you kind of yeah in like 89 you've got this war machine story uh written by dave gibbons with art by will simpson and then which I, I think is really amazing, but then kind right, of yeah. downshifts to being written by Michael Fleischer, who's not as good a writer for this situation. Um, and sort of, I don't know, Peter's out, doesn't really know where it's going, I guess. Um, and then most recently, we've just ha- had a series to, again, bring back the biochips. And like, again, like the Friday not having the biochips, I think is like, like you mentioned, is a real, is a real knock on the series. You really need somebody. Yeah. Th- these characters need someone, need people to talk to, yeah. I think. And I, I think you can tell that it's kind of when they're trying to bring that in because the story's interesting enough. I, I mean, I got to tell you, Rogue, I, my relationship with Rogue Trooper is very hit or miss. Um, <laughs> sure. And it does. And it, I, I think much like every other fan, to be perfectly honest, it all ties back to like, uh, what what are you doing with the character mm-hmm. and like how is the character playing against himself and a, about the environment around him and this is still in that period where they're trying to get back to the happy standard but they still want to try and make it different enough and the whole story kind of uh, lands for me in this place where it's like a lot of things are happening and you can see a glimpse of what is going to come, but nothing actually happens in this story. There's lots of kaboom and there's lots of, look, we brought it back. And then it just sort of stops and that's fine, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't inspire confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's very much just like, there's explosions and he runs from them and he bumps into some Southers and they're like, Oh, we're just making it through. But then they come under attack and they all die basically. And rogue just got to continue on through the, uh, through the war, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, just back to, back to wandering the earth, like Kane and Kung Fu, essentially classic rogue, tro- rogue yeah. trooper stuff. Yep. It's like, uh, but it's so pretty. There's so, there's so much, uh, good lettering and like there's a big explosion uh like half page that's just going yeah that's great gorgeous love to see it (laughs) um no it's uh it's this this whole this whole special but this in particular seems to highlight what 2000 ad was in 1994 which is a weird middle space Mm. and it's not bad it's not a bad middle space but it is not a particularly good middle (laughs) space either (laughs) <laughs> right. It's 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 a very uh wobbly sort of area and there's so many good parts to just this short uh rogue trooper thing and it's good to see Friday back with his buzz. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and having somebody to play off of, which I think is really necessary for the character. Um but I don't know, it just it doesn't it didn't it didn't do a lot for me. But then again, like the rogue trooper continuity is an utter fucking enigma to me. There is just so much. I mean, uh, I know there's a lot of stuff that I don't, I'm not even aware of yet because you start getting Jaeger in there and all these other sorts of like, you know, Tales of the Traitor General or whatever. And it's there's a lot going on for sure. Yeah, it's, it's but it's it's fine. That's that that seems to be the theme of what I'm saying. <laughs> but I like it, and I'm glad to see Henry Flint like 
um, again, I just, I love seeing the evolution of artists and it seems like he's, seems like he's doing, you can see like the really kinetic nature of his, of his work starting so early and it's so good and it just gets better. And that's, that it's really cool to see. It's nice. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's the, our last thrill. The special ends with another uh, character montage by Mark Harrison. Same as the cover actually, because it's Dread, Friday, Sam Slade, and Brigand Doom with a fiery background. But this one's a little bit less action packed. Mostly, most of the lads are standing around only Friday sort of in a combat crouch yeah, it here. Remind, you know, this, uh, this one actually reminds me a lot of uh, the like Vertigo covers that DC was doing mm. during that yeah. period too. Uh, very like lots of painting, lots of shading. <laughs> <laughs> it was highly stylized uh, character portraits. And that's, I mean, it's kind of killer. Actually, all the muddy, like kind of bloody looking background is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I like the uh, the laser on Friday's gun is kind of fun as well. It's just yeah, yeah. big characterizations, big angry brigand doom, always fun. Um, but look at Dred's very, very full lips, though. Oh, my. Yeah. He's got the pout. Yeah. You know, he knows he looks good. <laughs> You know, yes. <laughs> oh man! But with that, Chloe, I must know what are your top and bottom fills for this—the 1994 sci-fi I special. I mean, I'm versatile, so <laughs> I think uh, I really, really liked—I uh, really liked Fast Breeder. Obviously, um, it's just—it's Smith being very, very Smith, and obviously, like the reprint of Judge Dread: Crime of Passion. Is definitely a top. Um, as far as as far as my bottom picks, oh, you know what? I would put the I would put the Robo Hunter in the top too, because um, nice. that, that was a good time. Um, but honestly, like my bottom one is probably that that I don't want to say terrible because that's mean. Don't be mean. Uh, <laughs> I I was gonna say the frame to frame chunk of nonsense in the middle. Uh, was a little bit too extra for me. And honestly, I think the Brigand Doom was on the bottom for me. I want to, I keep wanting to think that um, like the, the beautiful artwork would save it. And I just don't think it can. Cause I just, I keep looking it over going, what's the point? Right. Yeah. Just not, not enough to sink your teeth into. I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And that, that, I mean, that's it. I was going to say the Mr. Bennett one, but again, like it was so, um, it was one of those, it's so bad. It's good <laughs> things. So, that's that's in my that'll stay in my good graces for right now. <laughs> nice, yeah. I think for me, ooh, I I I like the 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 text piece a lot as well. Fast breeder, I thought that was really good. Um, I think, yeah, I, I I think that might be my top. Just a fun um, um, text piece story. Always nice when that makes it in there. For my bottom, I mean, I might go with you and say Brigand Doom, although I also wasn't a fan of Ju- of the Judge Dredd story just because it feels like, I don't know, it's it definitely feels like someone who's trying to freak out the squares, basically, of just yeah. like, <laughs> you know, like, what if Dredd shot your beloved childhood character in the face, huh? How about that? Like, okay. Like, you're, this is a, this seems like effort to, to freak me out, you know? So it, it takes something away from it, I guess. With, uh, <laughs> with Miller, was this before or after the summer offensive stuff? This is I think it was after. after. The summer offensive is summer 93. So okay. we're in the heart. So right. we're after. But, like, yeah. So, you know, I mean, we had, we had the the third big Dave story earlier this year and stuff like that, you know, so we're sort of, 
you know, listen, we're trying, like, it's, the, it's, recovery. yeah, well, it's the, you know, we're still very much in this first round of uh, fighting against the PC establishment, you know, like that term has finally started to exist, I guess. Yeah, that is definitely uh, something that people were doing uh, during this period. And that, God, I think every, every comic publisher had their, like, their rogue guy who was out to change comics. Right. And I think it's just very, yeah, very, very something that will, of course, continue under different names, sort of, you know, had been happening and will continue to happen, I guess. But sort of, <laughs> you know, something that I feel like I like the specific terminology, I think, places it in a specific time, in a certain time, yeah, I guess. Yep, yep. It's the don't, don't be a square, little mama, you know? Exactly. <laughs> it to the man (laughs) awesome and so can you tell us where to find the gutter review you can find the gutter review at surprise the gutter review.com uh you can also find us on twitter at the gutter review um or you can get a hold of me uh at punk rock mom jeans the rock part does not have a c in it because that was taken oh man Uh, (laughs) but that's it you can come and, and read all of uh all of our unhinged stuff there. And I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook or Twitter pages on Twitter at spacespinner2k for everything else. Go to spacespinner2000 and we should be there. And why not drop us a rating or review wherever you're listening? Helps out a lot. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, and your friends, the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes. Then come back next time as Babe Race and the Clown roll on. Luke Kirby continues his adventures in hell. Dreads hit. Dread heads into the cursed earth and then under the flooded hall of justice and Bradley returns for more fairy tale adventures. And until then, I'm Godred there, Chloe, and we are Space Fitter 2000. Splendid Birthring!